grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the Triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. Second reading is from the first scroll of Samuel. The Philistines assembled their troops for war at Soko of Judah. A champion named Goliath from Garth came out from the Palestine camp. Goliath stopped and shouted to the Israelite troops, Why have you come and taken up battle formations? I am the Philistine champion, and you are Saul's servants. Isn't that right? Select one of your men and let him come down against me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will become your slaves. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you will become our slaves and you will serve us. I insult Israel's troops today. Give me an opponent and we'll fight. When Saul and all Israel heard what the Philistines said, they were distressed and terrified. Don't let anyone lose courage because of this Philistine, David told Saul. I am your servant and will go out and fight him. You can't go out and fight this Philistine, Saul answered David. You're still a boy, but he's been a warrior since he was a boy. Your servant has kept his father's sheep, David replied to Saul. And if ever a lion or a bear came and carried off one of the flock, I would go after it and strike it and rescue the animal from its mouth. The Holy One, David added, who rescued me from the power of both lions and bears will rescue me from the power of this Philistine. Go, Saul replied to David, and may the Holy One be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own gear, putting a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David strapped his sword on over the armor. But he couldn't walk around very well because he had never tried it before. I can't walk in this, David told Saul, because I've never tried it before. So he took them off, and then he grabbed his staff and chose five smooth stones from the stream bed. He put them in his pocket, of his shepherd's bag, and with, uh, with sling in hand, went out to the Philistine. The Philistine got closer and closer to David, and his shield-bearer was in front of him. When the Philistine looked 
David over, he sneered at David because he was just a boy, reddish-brown and good-looking. The Philistine asked David, Am I some sort of dog that you would come at me with sticks? And he cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said to David, and I'll feed your flesh to the wild birds and the wild animals. But David told the Philistine, You are coming against me with sword, spear, and scimitar, but I come against you in the name of the Holy One of heavenly forces, the God of Israel's army, the one you've insulted. Today the Holy One will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Then the whole world will know that there is a God on Israel's side. And all those gathered here will know that the Holy One doesn't save by means of sword and spear. The Holy One owns this war and will hand all of you over to us. The Philistine got up and moved closer to attack David. And David ran quickly to the front line to face him. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. He slung it and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone penetrated his forehead and he fell face down. On the ground. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Down, 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 boom. The sheer force of the fall sends tremors through the soil. And when the dust clears, your kindergartner listeners are in awe. <gasps> The giant Goliath is defeated. He's not only merely dead, he's really most sincerely dead. You don't need to mention the bloody postscript to your six-year-olds in which David unsheaths Goliath's sword and hacks off his opponent's head. When they're older, just take them to any art museum with a European wing, which will likely have that scene displayed in oil paint or marble, because nothing quite calls to the artistic imagination like a biblical decapitation. No, you can close the book, because the underdog has triumphed. The child got the best of the adults. With God, the good guys beat the bad guys. And that's enough for a six-year-old's story hour. Thankfully, Tim invited us back into the first scroll of Samuel today. Because there is more light and more truth to break forth from God's word. We notice different things when we go back to familiar stories, don't we? This time around, here's what caught my attention. No one except the narrator calls Goliath by his name. 
when Saul and all Israel heard what the Philistines said, they were distressed and terrified. Don't let anyone lose courage because of this Philistine, David urges Saul. You can't go out and fight this Philistine, Saul answers. And when David slung his stone, it hit the Philistine in his forehead. No one needs to know which Philistine. We're paying attention to the action. And perhaps, in the back of our minds, we might say that all Philistines are essentially the same. Some are tall and fierce, sure. Some would much prefer to be throwing a fishing net than a spear. Most are scared teenagers, probably. But no matter. They are on the wrong side of the river, the wrong side of history, on the wrong side of God. Hmm. Here's what I suspect. The difference between Israelites and Philistines is negligible as soon as King Saul accepts Goliath's terms. Really, Saul? You're going along with this nonsense challenge about one-to-one combat? Determining the fate of your people? And you're even willing to roll the dice on a preteen shepherd? Come on! But Saul is already removing his bronze helmet and his coat of armor for David to wear. Saul has bought into the either-or framework, and he wants to go back to pre-Goliath days. He'll take the path of least resistance to get there. Someone, anyone, just get rid of that Philistine. But our friends in Canada... No, it's not that easy. On two different occasions this week, this last week, I witnessed Canadian colleagues erupt in tears of grief and anger over two atrocities. Anne lives in British Columbia, so her heart cracked in two when the news broke that on May 27th, the Tecumloops to Sequeham First Nation unearthed the remains of 215 of their stolen children buried in unmarked graves. These kids were students at the Kumloops, the former Kumloops Indian Residential School, where from 1890 to 1969, the missionaries who ran the school lied to parents about children who ran away. Like Anne, Julie felt sick to her stomach when she heard the news. But then a week later, on June 6th, a white man mowed his truck into a Pakistani family in London, Ontario. 
And Julie lives in Ontario. And so she and Anne both raged at the perpetrator's stated motive to, to kill Muslims. Now a nine-year-old is in intensive care, orphaned in an instant of hatred. This is Canada, both of my colleagues said, shaking. We tend to come off as smug when we compare ourselves to you in the United States, but racism and intolerance and violence are rooted deep into Canadian society. It is so frustrating and so exhausting to try uprooting them. Yes, there are giants terrorizing the land, but they are not storybook characters, and they are not so easily vanquished. And neither are they nine feet tall, Author Adrian Marie Brown experiences those giants lurking in committed communities where conflict becomes toxic, especially online. In her book, We Will Not Cancel Us, she observes how in the social change circles where she spends her time, we call it transformative justice when we're throwing knives and insults, exposing each other's worst mistakes, reducing each other to moments of failure. We call it holding each other accountable. Now, Brown isn't against holding others accountable for harm done, intentionally or unintentionally, but for her, accountability is part of a larger conversation about understanding harm, supporting survivors, and taking the long view of healing that halts cycles of violence. Again, confronting giants is no easy task. How can we refuse to accept a world defined on Goliath's terms? For David, the name of God was on his lips. You are coming against me with sword, spear, and scimitar, David declared. But I come against you in the name of the Holy One. We'll see in later weeks, that David won't always remember that the Holy One dwells with the weak and the foolish. As for us, the Apostle Paul reminds us that our experience of the Holy One as Christians is always shaped by Jesus Christ, God in vulnerable flesh, our crucified Savior, who is risen with scars. Jesus turns the idea of power on its head. I pleaded with the Lord three times, Paul writes, for this thorn in my body to leave me alone. And Christ said to me, my grace is enough for you because power 
is made perfect in weakness. Paul never spelled out what he meant by that thorn, but I would bet that a giant put it there. Maybe it's anxiety that the bottom is about to fall through, and that joy will have been for nothing. Maybe it's a temper that burns hot, or equally dangerous feelings that we don't want to handle. Maybe our parents passed on their thorns to us, a part of a family legacy that we don't quite know how to opt out of. By sheer grace, Christ's power is made perfect in our weaknesses. Because by tireless grace, Christ leads us on the long, frustrating, even exhausting road of transformation and healing. David defeated Goliath in the name of the Holy One, which makes for a tidy story. But the folks at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, often called Mother Emmanuel, well, they know a truer story. How on June 17th, 2015, nine African-American members met for Bible study at Mother Emanuel. It was Wednesday night. A stranger walked in, and they welcomed him and prayed together, these nine, the Reverend Sharonda Coleman Singleton, Cynthia Marie Graham Hurd, Susie Jackson, Ethel Lee Lance, the Reverend DePayne Middleton Doctor, Taiwanza Kibwe Diop Saunders, the Reverend Daniel Lee Simmons, the Reverend Myra Singleton Quarles Thompson, and the Honorable State Senator and Pastor of the Church, the Reverend Clementa C. Pickney. This stranger said that he wanted to ignite a race war. That's what he said after he shot and killed them, denying them the very humanity he claimed for himself. They welcomed him in the name of the Holy One. He advanced the cause of Goliath, claiming that superiority and strength belonged to white people. And yet, the witness of the Emmanuel Nine outlasts his. Just two years ago, some of our Lutheran family members in the faith set aside June 17th as a day to commemorate the Emmanuel Nine. Pastors Pinckney and Simmons were both graduates of the Lutheran Theological Seminary in the South, and the murderer, Dylan Roof, was raised in an ELCA Lutheran congregation. For our Lutheran neighbors, this Thursday is a day of repentance from the sins of racism. 
They are coming against Goliath in the name of the Holy One, armed not with slingshots, but with prayer and Bible study. They know their weaknesses more and more each passing day, but they also claim the promise of Jesus for their own lives. My grace is enough for you because power is made perfect in weakness. For this all-sufficient grace, welcoming us into healing, into wholeness, into holiness, let us give all glory and all gratitude to God, the song of the psalmists, the strength of the lowly, sovereign and shepherd of all, Amen.